Dear friend, I'm Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'd like to take a moment to speak with you as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. There is no question we are living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. It is unlike anything I have experienced in my whole life. And the temptation in times like these is to allow fear and worry to creep into our thoughts and to rob us of our joy. But in these uncertain times, we need to remember that God is still in control. And my prayer for you is that you are healthy, you're in a safe place and surrounded by those you love. Please keep the ministry of Turning Point in your prayers as well. We will continue to bring the healing power of God's Word to you each day on radio, television, and online. And I really hope this will be a source of encouragement to you during the current coronavirus. So be safe, be in the Word, and be in prayer. When pop culture started celebrating angels, it became clear that selling the image was more important than telling the truth. Do you know the difference? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah goes straight to God's Word for the real story on angels. Where do they come from? How are they different from humans? With the answers, here's David to introduce his message, What Are Angels Anyway? Today we pick up um, our study of angels with the question, What Are Angels Anyway? And I think you'll be surprised to discover uh, how angels came into being. What kind of angels are they? What do they do? Are there any angels who are named? And uh, the question everybody wants to know answers to is, are they in God's plan for me now? Are they present? Do they appear? Do they give us personal insight about our work and our worship? And here's one very important question. Should we ever pray to angels? Some people do that. They pray to their angels. We're going to answer all those questions today and tomorrow in this introductory lesson called, What Are Angels Anyway? And I want to offer you the book, Angels, from which this series is uh, originated. And you can have this book for a gift of any size to Turning Point during the month of July. We ask only that you do your very best, send your gift, ask for the book. It'll be on its way. This book is um, really special because it has both a scriptural and and a subject index in the back. I wish all of our books were like that. We can't always do that, but this book is is very, very wonderfully indexed. So I hope you'll get your copy. You don't have to do too much to get it, but we want you to be invested in what we do. We want you to join us in our quest to get the Bible out across the world. So send a gift, any size, send it to Turning Point, and be sure when you do that, to ask for your copy of the book on angels. Okay, here's the question. What are angels anyway? On more than one occasion, Corrie ten Boom has written of the intervention of angels in her life. One such story records the experience that she and her sister Betsy had as they were sent to a concentration camp for the crime of sheltering Jews. In the horror of all they met there, A prayer for angels' help saw a remarkable answer. And it's all recorded in a book that was written several years ago called A Prisoner and Yet by Corrie ten Boom. In this book, she tells this story. She said, We were standing on the great open square in front of the administration building of the concentration camp. 
We had thrown our arms around each other and drawn more closely to us the blanket that we had carried. It was very cold. We had already spent two days and nights outside, and now we were standing in a long line waiting in front of the bathhouse. At the door of the somber, dark building was a pile of clothing, packages, suitcases, provisions, and blankets, all thrown together in a colorful, chaotic heap. Gradually, it became a mountain. It was all the possessions of all the new arrivals, and their possessions were all being taken away from them. The women coming out of the shower rooms had on a thin dress, an undershirt, and a pair of wooden shoes. Nothing more. I felt Betsy shivering and pressed her closely to me. O oh Lord, I prayed, save us from this evil. Betsy is so frail. An officer appeared in the doorway and screamed at us hoarsely. Do you have any objections to surrendering your clothes? We'll teach you Hollanders what Ravensbrook is all about. The light shone on his cruel face. For a few minutes, we were quiet and spoke softly with the Savior. He was with us and knew what we were suffering, and he loved us. Lord, I prayed, if thou dost ask this sacrifice of us, give us the strength to make it. Corey, I am ready, whispered Betsy softly. Then everything is all right, I answered. I took her arm, and together we entered the frightful building. At a table were women who took away all of our possessions. I asked a woman who was busy checking the possessions of the new arrivals if I might use the toilet. She pointed at a door, and I discovered that that convenience was nothing more than a hole in the shower room floor. Betsy stayed close beside me all the time, and suddenly I had an inspiration. Quick, take off your woolen underwear, I whispered to her. I rolled it up with mine and laid the bundle in a corner. The Lord is busy answering our prayers, Betsy, I whispered. We shall not have to make the sacrifice of all of our clothes. We hurried back to the row of women waiting to be undressed. A little later, after we had our showers and put on our shirts and shabby dresses, I hid the roll of underwear under my dress. It did bulge out, obviously, through my dress, but I prayed, Lord, cause now thine angels to surround me, and let them not be transparent, for the guard must not even see me. I felt perfectly at ease. Calmly, I passed the guards. Everyone was checked from the front, the sides, the back. Not a bulge escaped their eyes. The woman just in front of me had hidden a woolen vest under her dress. It was taken from her. They let me pass, for they did not see me. Betsy, right behind me, was searched. But outside awaited another danger. On each side of the door were women who looked everyone over for a second time. They felt over the body of each one who passed. I knew they would not see me, for the angels were still surrounding me. I was not even surprised when they passed me by, but within me rose this jubilant cry, O Lord, if thou dost so answer prayer, I can face even Ravensbrook unafraid. End of story. Now, I know if I could peer into your hearts right now, that many of you would be saying, if not out loud, at least in your heart, did that really happen? Does God really still allow events like that in our world? Can he surround a woman with angels in such a way that she passes through a line of inspection and is not even seen? Well, if you study what the Bible says about angels, you know that that little caper is child's play 
for an angel assigned by God to a distressed child. But what are angels anyway? And where did they come from? And what are they like? There's so much that's being said about them today that it's important that we go back to the beginning and start where the Bible starts. And I need to tell you at the very outset of this message that the Bible teaches that angels are God's created beings. God created the angels. For instance, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16 tells us that for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. In the middle of that verse, there is a listing of the hierarchy of God's creation. Thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. Wherever that appears in the New Testament, the word powers is the word that stands for God's angelic creation. In Psalm 148, verses 2 and 5, we read this. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created. Nehemiah 9, 6 says it this way. You alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their host. That's the angels. The earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve them all and the host of heaven worships you. Now these verses just plainly state that the Lord created the angels. They are not the result of the big bang. They did not come in the hierarchy of some evolutionary process. God created the angels. But that's really not the issue that is debated by most who study this subject. The issue isn't, did God create them? The issue is, when did he do it? Some people believe that angels predate everything, predate all the creative acts, that they go back to the primordial eternity. One thing we do know is this, that the angels were present very early in the creative process. Job chapter 38, verses 4 through 7, tells us this. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Now, if you read the passage carefully, what you notice is that in the book of Job, we are told that the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy when God was in the process of creating the world, which says they were there at the beginning. The morning stars mentioned in this verse are almost universally understood to refer to the angels of God. And they cannot possibly refer to the stars of the heavens because they were not created until the fourth day of creation. And the sons of God who are mentioned here are also mentioned in the first chapter of Job. You remember the story when the sons of God came before the Lord and Satan was among them as a part of the angelic hosts. So here we have in Job 38, 4 through 7... The angelic host present at the very beginning of God's creative process. Psalm 104. Now I want to read the first few verses, but we're going to center on verses 4 and 5. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. You cover yourself with light as with a garment, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain, who lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters, who makes the clouds his chariot, who walks on the wings of the wind. Now watch this. Who makes his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire, who laid the foundations of the earth. Now, in Psalm 104, this great psalm, which was written to praise God for his creative acts, tells us when the angels were created. According to the record, the next act after the creation of space-time cosmos, here in Psalm 104, verse 5, is the creation of the angels. And immediately after the angels were created, according to the psalmist, then God laid the foundation of the earth. What day was that? Probably on the second day. It is an incredible thing to think that one of the most important creations of God before man was created, before much of what we know in our world was created, was God's creative act when he created all the angels. Now, while we have our Bibles open to Psalm 104, we can learn just a little bit about the substance of these angels. For the Bible says that they were created as ministers, a flame of fire. This remarkable verse seems to state that these servants of God are actually composed of flaming fire. This is really beyond anything that we can imagine because we think in the natural realm. We do not know what the nature of angels really are, but we do know that they are unlike us. Men are made of natural and chemical elements and are subject to the electromagnetic and gravitational forces which control these elements. But angels are not. They are different. They are unique. They are very much connected with the fire that is mentioned here. In fact, I'll give you a little hint. When you read your Bibles, watch how often angels and fire appear in the same text. And we'll see a couple of them even yet today. You see, angels are able to defy the electromagnetic and gravitational pull, which men are so controlled by. They are able to move swiftly from one place to the other. In fact, on one occasion in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 21, we read, While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. Daniel prayed, God heard his prayer, and immediately the angel was dispatched. I do not know anything at all about the space between the two places, except that angels are not bound by all of that. They are totally different than we are, and they are able to do that which we are not able to do. Often in the scriptures, angels are associated directly with the stars of heaven, which of course are orbs of flaming fire. That's the substance of angels. Let me add just one other thought while we're talking about their creation, and we'll move from that in a moment. And that is... I want you to think with me about when the angels were created and the fact that all of them were created at the same time, the simultaneous creation of all the angels. It is important to understand that angels were all created just like that. Their full number was created in the beginning and there has been no addition to that number since the second day of creation. Unlike human beings who are conceived and born at different times in history, all of the angels were created at a single moment in time. And listen to me. 
There are no little angels. All the angels are the adult angels that God created at the moment of his creation. In fact, Matthew 22 and verse 30 tells us that angels do not marry, nor are they given in marriage. And that means that angels don't procreate, so there aren't any other angels being born. The number of angels that were created on the second day of creation is the exact number of angels that we have today. And that is very important for us to understand. Now that's a little bit about where they came from, and we won't spend any more time there. Let's talk about what they're like. What are angels like? If one should appear, if we should become acquainted with an angel, what should we expect? And I want to say quickly five things about angels that I hope you will write down. Number one, they are innumerable. I mean, they are just a multitude of them. In fact, Hebrews 12.22 actually uses that term to describe them. Have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. How many angels are there? They're innumerable. That means you can't count them. You can't possibly know how many there are. Second Chronicles 18, 18 says it this way. Then Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing on his right hand and on his left. He looked into heaven and he saw the entire heavenly expanse just filled with the angels of God. In Daniel chapter 7 and verse 10 we read this. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Daniel says there were just myriads of angels. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 11. Do you remember that verse? It says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And we did our math and we said that meant there were a hundred million angels at least. That's a lot of angels. So if you wonder, are there enough up there so that if I need one, it's available to me. I think you're probably in good shape, all right? Angels are innumerable. But let me tell you something else that's very important for us to understand about them. They're invisible. Angels are invisible. Now, most of you are like me. We've been sort of oblivious to angels most of our lives. So there's really no telling how many times they've intervened when we've needed them. Some years ago, when I had my ordination for the gospel ministry, I was in the ordination council and they asked me a question. We were discussing angels and they asked me, do you believe in guardian angels? And before I could answer, my mother who was sitting there said, well, if he doesn't, I do. That's what she said in the meeting. And she had watched me grow up and all of the close calls I had had along the way. But we are not usually aware of the intervention of angels in our lives because they're invisible. Well, you say, Pastor Jeremiah, if angels are invisible, then how is it that so many angel sightings have been reported both in the Bible and in today's world? There has to be an answer to that, and frankly, there are two answers to it. And they're both right from the Word of God. Turn in your Bibles to the 18th chapter of the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 18. And let me teach you a little bit from this passage in the life of Abraham. You remember the story of how Abraham was so concerned about his nephew Lot because Lot was in a lot of trouble. He was in Sodom. And so he was pleading to God that Lot would be rescued. 
And the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 18 that God heard his prayer and beginning at the beginning of the chapter it says, and the Lord appeared to Abraham by the terebinth trees of Mamre as he was sitting in the tenth door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. Now, if we had time to read the rest of this text, we would discover that one of these three men were actually Jehovah, the Lord. He's mentioned several times in the passage. And the other two men were angels. But when Abraham saw them, they just appeared to him like three men. Here's the point. One of the reasons why people see angels is because angels have the ability to appear to us as human beings if they choose to do so or if God so ordains. In this story, they appeared to Abraham as Jesus and two angels, all three of them looking like men. And I went through the story and wrote down in my notes that if you read it carefully, you will see that these angels ate, they washed, they walked, they held hands, and they took a physical form. They looked like men. But... In the midst of the story, as you know, as Abraham was pleading with them for his nephew's life, the Lord said to the other two who were with him, you go down there and take care of Lot and get him out of the mess that he's in. And so we read in chapter 19 and verse 1, watch this. And the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. Who are the two angels? The two angels are the two men of the 18th chapter. They were disguised as men and looked upon as men. And then the Bible tells us who they really were. They were angels. So that's why some of you have told me the stories you've told me. How that somebody was in the hospital and you went in and there was a man there in the hospital room that nobody could identify. You didn't know where he came from or where he went. And he was there in a helping, ministering way. And you believe it was an angel. And it very well may have been because angels have the ability To put themselves in human form so they can be seen. That's one of the reasons why angels have sightings these days. But there's another reason. And it's even more exciting to me. And that is, not only can angels appear in the form of a human being, but oftentimes God can open the eyes of individuals so that they can see what otherwise would be unseen. And I want to tell you two stories to illustrate that from the Bible. One of them is one of the most humorous stories that I have ever read in the scriptures. It's found in Numbers chapter 22 and 23. And it is a a very interesting story. It is the story of Israel in their military campaigns. And Israel had developed a reputation of defeating everybody they fought against because they had Jehovah God on their side. Well, the king of Moab was a man by the name of Balak. He had heard about how Israel was being so rough on their enemies. And Balak got this idea that the way he could keep Israel off his back was to go and find the prophet Balaam and pay Balaam enough money so that he would curse Israel and then Israel wouldn't be a threat to him. So if you read the story, you know, he goes and he finds Balaam and he says, I want you to go and curse Israel. And Balaam says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll talk to the Lord about it and see what he says. So he talked to the Lord. The Lord said, don't do it. He went back and he said, I can't do this. The Lord said, I can't do it. And so Balak says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll up the ante. I'll give you some more money. I'll I'll make it more attractive to you. So he says, well, let me go tell the Lord. Now he went back and told the Lord. The Lord said, no, I don't want you to do this. And so he came back the third time. And finally the Lord said, you go with him, but you tell him only what I tell you to tell him. So here's the story. Balaam gets on his donkey. And along with the king of Moab, Balak, they head off toward Moab. And on their way, they get to a place and the donkey stops. Now, Balaam's a little upset about this because 
the donkey stopped and won't go forward. And he starts, you know, I'm imagining a little bit, but he starts working his donkey over. So finally, the donkey goes off the path over out of the way and runs up against the wall, just about breaks old Balaam's leg. And he's really getting upset about this now. And the more upset he gets, the more angry he gets. In fact, in one place in the scripture, he says to the donkey, if I had a sword, I'd kill you. The donkey just finally sat down and wouldn't move. And Balaam is really frustrated. And finally, what we discover as we read the story is that the reason that the donkey sat down was that the angel of the Lord was standing in the pathway in front of the donkey and it terrified the poor animal. The donkey saw what Balaam couldn't see. And there is some discussion as you read the story as to which of the two is really the donkey. Now, I'm not sure in this whole story which one fits where. Well, you'll have to let me have a little fun with that. We'll pick that up tomorrow as we continue our discussion of what are angels anyway. Um, By the way, this 240-page book called Angels, which I have written, uh, has 14 chapters. It separates fact from fiction about angels in an easy-to-understand format. And you can have it for a gift of any amount to Turning Point. When you ask for this resource, we'll send it to you right away. Be sure to send your gift to Turning Point during the month of July. And as you do so, uh, ask for your copy of the book, Angels. It will be a wonderful addition to your library, and we are excited to make it available to you in this special way. Hey, friends, did you know we have a magazine, a magazine that coordinates a lot that we do? For instance, during a month when we're teaching something, there will be supporting materials in the magazine about that. And um, it's a kind of synergism that's really helpful to learning the Word of God. And you can get that magazine. All you have to do is ask for it when you call or write. Uh, get, get your request in to our website, davidjeremiah.org, and we'll send you the next copy. And you can continue to get that magazine every month and it'll be a blessing to you and i'll be here tomorrow i'll see you then for more information on dr jeremiah's current teaching series angels please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine turning points and our daily email devotional sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio that's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of David's book, Angels, Who They Are and How They Help, What the Bible Reveals. It will help you separate fact from fiction about angels, and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to instantly access our content. Get all the details when you visit our website at davidjeremiah.org slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Angels, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Legacy. When I think about my life and the legacy I will leave behind one day, I remember the legacy of faith I saw in the lives of my parents and it is now reflected in the lives of my children and grandchildren. Then I reflect upon the calling God placed on my heart to preach and teach, and I think of the people who have been touched around the world through the ministry of Turning Point. Each of us will leave a legacy. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? In addition, 
to the legacy that will be entrusted to your family, perhaps you have considered leaving your imprint on something with eternal consequences. Many people don't think beyond this life. They live only for today with no hope beyond the grave. But for the believer, we not only have an eternal perspective on life today, we want to leave behind a testimony of our faith so that others may come to know Christ as well. Long after you and I finish our time on this earth, Turning Point will continue to bring the unchanging Word of God to an ever-changing world. There is still so much work to do. Will you join me in this very important effort? What will your legacy be?